Sunday Sermons from Trinity UMC in Lincoln, a podcast to help on the faith journey. Now on to this week's message from Pastor Jeff Slater. One of my first years when I was in seminary, I remember a book that I came across that I didn't understand. I actually remember several books that I didn't understand. However, one in particular comes to mind today. I should probably go back and try again because I've uh, become a better reader since then too. But just the title of the book has come back to me again and again. Are you ready for this? The Economy of Grace. Now, what does that even mean? The Economy of Grace. Now, we Americans, we're capitalists, right? Which we believe to be a flawed system. It's not perfect, but uh, arguably the best form of human economy that that we've ever come up with. We earn money, and then we spend money on the things that we need to live, right? And you know what? It It certainly beats the old bartering and feudal systems of the Middle Ages, right? It's a better type of economy. Now, some would argue that we could learn a few pointers from other systems like socialism to help round out the rough edges. That's a debate for another day, but the truth is most of us can't imagine another way of living other than our economy, right? So I'll ask it again. What even is an economy of grace? But we know that God doesn't charge a fee to get into heaven, right? Now, that's a, any Lutherans in the house? That's a little joke for any, ah, see, two Lutherans, two, 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 uh, two uh, people who grew up Lutheran just laughed. Nice. <laughs> but I've also known too many happy people of meager means, and I've known too many unhappy rich people to think that income and satisfaction go hand in hand. Uh, That's kind of deep, isn't it? So whatever an economy of grace or an economy of happiness is, clearly it's something different than our human economy, right? Or let's broaden it further still. If earning and spending is the economy of modern living, how would you describe the title of today's message, The Economy of God? You know, right now we're reading the Gospel of Matthew from uh, Christmas to Easter, following Jesus' journey through. And we've reached the part in Matthew where he, uh, he uh, relays to us uh, a many of Jesus' parables. Now, parables are a kind of story. And it's not a, not a not, I mean, it's, it's fiction. Like, it's not, the, the parables aren't stories that actually happen. Sometimes they're even exaggerated a little bit to make a point. And oftentimes they have many different meanings that you can take from them. And this is certainly one of those. Now, I want to relay it to you again, but it's a little on the long side, as you heard Desa read it earlier, but I'm going to try to do it mostly in my own word, except for one spot that I want to be precise about, okay? So Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who needs workers for his vineyard. And as was the standard practice at the time, he goes out early in the morning to the marketplace to hire workers for his vineyard. He goes to the marketplace and he says, you, 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 and you, or however many, uh, and he tells them that I will pay you a denarian. For today's, that would be a day's wages, let's just say a hundred bucks. That's probably not quite a day's wage, but for the sake, for the sake of making this modern and real, let's just say a hundred bucks. I'll pay you a hundred bucks if you work in my field all day. And then he sends them to the vineyard. Okay, here's the part I want to be precise about. So, the landowner went back out about nine in the morning 
because the others had probably early like six or seven or so. He goes out around nine in the morning and saw others standing around the marketplace doing nothing. And he says to them, you also go to the vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. And so they go, nine o'clock. Again, around noon. And then again, at three in the afternoon, he did the same thing. Around five in the afternoon, he goes out again and he finds others standing around. And he said to them, why are you just standing around, uh, standing around here doing nothing all day long? Because nobody has hired us, they replied. He responded, you also go into the vineyard. Okay, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his managers, call the workers uh, together and give them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and moving on finally to the first. And he gives each of the workers $100 or a denarian. Now, you see the tension here? The ones that have been working since six in the morning got $100. The ones who weren't even hired until five o'clock got $100. Not sure I'd want to be part of the conversations as they were leaving, <laughs> right? But as the owner says, that's what he promised them, right? He promised those first workers he'd give them $100. He can do whatever he wants with his money. That's almost a direct quote, by the way. The owner says, I can do whatever I want with my money, and this is what I'm doing. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for that parable. <laughs> So any guesses what it means? Anything it's saying to you? Do you want to just sit in the tension for a minute? You know, the way, the way most people read this parable is, is correct. Like, it's not wrong. Most people read this as kind of a life isn't fair kind of parable. And you know what? Especially for all the kids that are with us this morning, I think that is a good lesson to take from this. Because sometimes we have a tendency to see somebody who was treated differently than we were and to think it's not fair. And... Well, it probably isn't. <laughs> life isn't fair, right? The oldest, uh, the oldest phrase in the parenting handbook, life isn't fair. Uh, but at the same time, but, and part of what it can teach us is maybe we need to worry more about ourselves and more about what we're doing than worrying about other people. You know, it also makes me think of uh, stories like the prodigal son. Uh, you all remember that story? The, the, there's two brothers and one of them goes off and squanders his inheritance on wild living. And when the father welcomes him back with a party, the older brother, who's been faithful all along, gets all snitty about it. <laughs> and not wrongly so, right? I'm not, I'm not going to say rightly so, but not wrongly so. He's been faithful all along. Where's his party, right? But the other truth is that he's worried too much about his own self when maybe he should just be happy that his brother finally figured it out and that his brother is finally there. That's the real celebration. So that's how this, that's how this story is usually read and that is a good way to read it. But there's a twist that I learned when I was studying it this week and I want to share it with you because to me it takes this parable to a whole nother level and the key to this reading, the surprising part of this reading is not the handing out of the wages at the end. It's a tiny little detail that's easy to miss in the middle of it and it's about the landowner himself. Okay, so the first thing you need to know from those who study ancient history and first century and the way the world worked and all that is that landowners didn't do their own hiring. 
We know in the story that this landowner had a manager. And the way things worked back then is the landowner would say, hey, you, manager, go out and hire some workers. That's how it would have worked, right? So maybe there's already a lesson in the fact that the landowner himself goes to seek out the workers. Now, are you hearing echoes of God coming among us in Jesus here? The landowner himself coming to walk among the workers? Already there's something that we could learn from this and the personal nature of it. But the other detail that's so easy to miss is what, what's going on? Like, wh why didn't he just hire enough workers at 6 a.m.? Didn't he have a plan for the day? That's not very good management, <laughs> right? He's not a very good farmer if he doesn't even know how many workers he needs at 6 in the morning. So clearly that's not it. You know, and now maybe it would be different if the scripture said the landowner looked out at his field and saw the work was kind of going slow and that they needed some more help. But it doesn't say that. The landowner doesn't even go to his field. He doesn't even know how the day's work is going. All he does is he goes to the marketplace and looks around and he sees some people that don't have anything to do. And so he hires them. He doesn't know if he needs them or not. By the way, the manager's side of this would be an interesting little bit of fan fiction to write. The manager's saying, why are there more workers showing up in the middle of the day? Anyway, that's another, another issue. So another way to read this parable is that the real reward isn't the wages that are handed out at the end. The point of this parable may not be the hundred bucks at the end of the day. It may be that the real reward is the work itself. You know, the big story of the Bible, the big story of humanity is that we are fallen and that God is helping to make the world full, to make the world complete, to make the world as it was intended to be all along. You know, our, 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 our mythology, our way of saying the story is the Garden of Eden, uh, the, 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 uh, the Garden of Eden and Adam and Eve uh, take the bite of the apple, right? And ever since it's been God's rebuilding project, the push and the pull of humanity and God uh, with many, set, many uh, setbacks, many times taking a step back, but more or less always uh, taking uh, more steps forward than back to rebuild the world to the way God made it to be in the beginning. Uh, and we as Christians, uh, uh, we, we, we know that God uh, created the church to be Jesus' hands and feet in the world, to do this work of rebuilding. Like when we talk about justice in action, we see the problems with mental health and criminal justice, and we see problems that, quite frankly, could be fixed. Like, the, like there are answers to these problems. And so we step in and we suggest those solutions. We help with that research. That's what we do as the church, right? We're helping to rebuild the world. You know, we have such a tendency to hear the word work and think of it as the thing we don't want to do. Kids, anything? Okay, we have a tendency to hear of work and think of it as the thing we don't want to do. But when it's this kind of work, when it's work in God's vineyard, when it's the work of making the world complete, when it's, when it's the work of making the world resemble God's kingdom, when it's the work of building God's kingdom, that's different. God could fix everything with a snap of his fingers if God wanted to, but instead he honors and dignifies us by giving us the opportunity to help. You know, it's, it's kind of like if the end goal of God, if the completion of the earth, of the world, of creation, could be compared to a painting, 
then it would be to say that it's not a solo work, that God wants each of our creative, uh, our, each of our creative spirits to be part of that too. And whether you respond to God's offer in the morning, whether you respond to God's offer at noon, or whether you respond to God's offer as late as 5 p.m., that doesn't matter nearly so much as the fact that you respond at all because God wants you to be part of the work. So much so that he goes to the marketplace himself to find us and show us the kind of work that really matters. You know, our economy, our human economy, somewhat necessarily, is one of scarcity. We could do a lot better sharing the wealth, that's for sure. But it's also true that our resources are limited. You know, if, any, if nothing else, our, our generation, our era is discovering just how limited the resources of the earth are. But as a result, we're often more concerned with what we don't have than we are with what we do. But in God's economy, we hear God saying, I have a place for you. I have a place for you. I have a place for you. What about you? You could rock this job over here. What about you? I've got a great idea that you're perfect for right over here. And God doesn't leave some manager to do the quote hiring. No, God comes personally to see us, to find us, to seek us out and to say that this world is beautiful and we're making something even greater of it. And it's not gonna be complete unless you help too. So come and work in my field. And all of us, all of us, receive the blessing that never runs out and couldn't be split even if such a question made sense. Really? It comes back to baptism. Each of us in our own time are like potential laborers standing around the marketplace and God comes to us and said, I have a place for you in my vineyard. Sometimes we realize it in an instant. Sometimes it's a conversation we have back and forth with a God we don't even know yet over years. For those who grow up knowing Jesus, there often comes a point where they hear the, quote, job offer more clearly. But in baptism, whether it's your actual baptism or a time in your life like confirmation or even just remembering the fact later on, it's the moment when we say, okay, I'm yours, put me to work. I wanna be part of what you're doing in the world. And life is never the same again. We receive the life-giving grace of working in God's kingdom and we wouldn't have it any other way. So, where are you right now? Are you working hard for God's world? Or are you standing in the marketplace waiting for the offer. What job has God given you in the vineyard? Is it teacher? Is it encourager? Is it carer? Is it healer? Is it prophet? Is it creator? Is it joy spreader? And have you accepted the job? Because it is a gift. And my prayer for you today is that you would be put to work in the best possible way for there's no better reward than simply being part of what God is building around us. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we thank you 
that you have graced us each, that you have blessed us each with arms and legs and muscles and minds and spirits. Put us to work in your kingdom, God. Help us to respond when you come to us and say, say I have a job for you. Help us not to think of the reward for the real reward is simply being with you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's Sunday Sermon. For more information on growth groups or how to more fully embrace the life of faith, visit us at www.trinitylincoln.org.